This is 1988 Tops, where every card has a story to tell. Your hosts are David McKellis and Matt Kuzma. Let's play ball. Welcome back to 1988 Tops. David, what's our card for this week? Our card this week is Bob Brower, card number 252. Okay, Bob Brower. That's a name I don't know. Why are we talking about Bob Brower today? Recently saw a tweet from Texas Rangers Baseball History on Twitter. That's at Rangers TX Photos. That said, Bob Brower is a former MLB outfielder. He was born in Jamaica, New York. Bob attended college at Duke University on a football scholarship. When I saw that, I thought, well, we like to talk about multi-sport athletes. Bob had an interesting background, and he went to a school maybe better known for other sports other than baseball and football. This card maybe has an error. A couple of fun facts about Bob and a successful second career. And Matt, perhaps we have gone on a run of too many commons, but I think that listeners... They know what they're in for with this <laughs> podcast. I feel like we've had two months straight of common cards. So apologies, listeners. We'll get to some big names soon. We cover a lot of common cards, but this show is decidedly uncommon. Also want to note that there's a Saber bio about Bob by John Burbridge Jr. So thank you, John, for that. Let's go to the front of 252, where we've got Bob Brower in the prototypical 1988 tops, Texas Rangers stance, which is right-handed batter at the plate after a swing, looking at the ball that he's just hit. You can't really see his face. We've seen this pose before. Gino Petrali, Pete Incaviglia, Tom O'Malley, so many others. The only good Rangers card I think we've had thus far was Ruben Sierra. Bob Brower, they do him a disservice here. You can't see his face. He's in the shadows. Also, this swing, this looks like an infield fly rule, in effect. (laughs) That's not a home run swing. You're not going to get a lot of lift with your back leg parallel to the ground. He went golfing for a shot, kind of, and tried to check his swing, and then it popped it up. It doesn't look good. A few other things I would note about this card. This could be almost any road uniform for any major league team of this era, just the plain grays with the black belt. Look, could be anybody. Generic baseball player one. What is interesting about Bob, though, there's so much extension in this. I thought, this looks like he's injuring himself. But then I looked at some other cards. I think his score card from around this time, this is the way that his swing looked. It almost looks like a cannon. Like he is with every swing just launching the ball, but it doesn't look like a productive swing, perhaps that uh, explains some of his injury problems and a three-year MLB career. Yeah, not not the best form. Also, we've discussed this before about the stadium. It has the same kind of look where the people are on a riser. You can actually see their feet, which is kind of strange. We've got a lady in the background that has her hands folded in her lap, very primly watching the the baseballs. Not a great card. Now let's go to the back of 252, and we have Bob Brower, outfielder. Six feet tall, 190, right-handed batter and thrower. Signed by the Rangers in 1982 as a free agent. Born January 10th, 1960 in Jamaica, New York, with a home in Vienna, Virginia. He was not born on the island of Jamaica. 
He was born on a Island, Long Island, Jamaica, Queens. The neighborhood is not actually named for the Island nation of Jamaica. So I learned something new from our own podcast here. According to the neighborhood of Queens by Claudia Grivitz Kopquin, the word is believed to have been derived from the Jamiko or Yamaka Indians who first lived on the island of Long Island. Jamaico is the Algonquin word for beaver. There is also a beaver road in Jamaica, but it is north of Jamaica Bay where the Jamaico Indians lived along the shore. So uh, I had always thought Jamaica Queens was named for the island of Jamaica, but it is actually named for the indigenous people who once inhabited the island. When Bob was young, his family lived in Queens while his dad finished college at St. John's. When his dad graduated from college, he started a career with IBM and then the Sterling Institute as a management consultant. The family moved around. They lived in Illinois, New Jersey, and finally settled in Vienna, Virginia when Bob was 13. I'm going to hedge my bets on the pronunciation of Vienna, Virginia. I know in Illinois, we have a Vienna. So this could be either Vienna or maybe it's Vienna as they are also in the South. We're going to go with Vienna. This is in Fairfax County, suburban Washington, D.C. The population of Vienna has been pretty consistent since the Browers moved in. In 1970, there were 17,000 people, around 16,500 now. However, the, the surrounding area and suburban D.C. generally has grown a ton and is incredibly wealthy. More people live in zip codes associated with the town of Vienna than the town itself. And the median home price in 2017 was over $800,000, one of the, the highest priced zip codes in the country. Bob went to Madison High School. The school has a famous marching band known as the Pride of Vienna. They won three straight Virginia state titles in marching band competitions in 2018, 19, and 2021. Other alums include filmmaker Adam Balalo, who made documentaries like The Carter, which is a Lil Wayne documentary, and The Upsetter about Lee Scratch Perry, wrestler Mia Yim, and 1970s baseball player Mike Wallace, and 1971 number two overall pick Jay Franklin. So a lot of 70s baseball players came out of this school, and it's a pretty good baseball history there, but not necessarily a lot of professional history. As a freshman, Bob had an injury, so he didn't play any organized sports. He had a back injury. But by his junior year, he's playing baseball, basketball, and running track. He was a high jumper. In addition to the high jump, he competed in the 100-meter, 200-meter, triple jump, long jump, 400- and 800-meter relays. So just a, an incredible high school athlete. Because of his high jumping ability, he was able to dunk a basketball when he was a sophomore, even though he was only six, under six foot at that point. Bob also said that basketball was his favorite sport and the only one that he practiced regularly as a youngster. At this point, he's also hitting 400 plus foot home runs, impressing teammates and coaches. And when he's a senior, his track coach, who happens to be the school's running back coach, convinces him to try out for the football team. And he tells him that he can become the first James Madison athlete to letter in four sports. And so Bob shows up, but more than just shows up, he is an outstanding football player. He runs for 1,200 yards, 20 touchdowns, is the player of the year for the league in his first year of organized football. 
So with this multi-sport prowess, Bob had a lot of college offers up and down the East Coast, and he chose Duke, where he would go on to play baseball and football, studying history and psychology at Duke University. In his freshman year in 1978, the final game of the season was in November, and Bob ran for 124 yards against rival North Carolina. Duke lost the game 16-15, but he earned ACC Rookie of the Week, seems strange to give that award out every single week. <laughs> yeah, it's important that that note is in there. We'll we'll get to that in a second. Okay. He had 260 total yards in his freshman season. That leads to the fun fact on the bottom of the card that Bob attended Duke University on a football scholarship, rushed for 130 yards in 1979 game and was selected ACC offensive back of the week. Yet another weekly award given by the ACC press office. So the the card says he rushed for 130 yards in this game, but... This is not a fact. It is fun, (laughs) but it's not a fact. I couldn't find any confirmation. I even called in heavy hitter Mark Simon to help me search through (laughs) ACC record books. We couldn't find any game in 1979 that made sense or that Bob could have been the offensive back of the week. He only ran (laughs) for 84 yards on the season. And according to the Duke season guide, he didn't win any ACC awards. So if you go to the 1978 Duke season guide, it does show that ACC rookie of the week is listed in there. But in 1979, there's no awards listed for him. This must have been a reference to that 1978 game that you just read about above. But they didn't even get the yardage right. Didn't get the yardage, or the, the year, or the award right. It's a triply, triply misinforming fun fact. He did attend Duke University. He did go on a football scholarship. He did rush for some yards in a year and win some award. So they got at least that part right. But come on. Come on, guys. Uh, shocking errors here. So this is definitely an error card, I would say, like given the, <laughs> the fun fact. That fun fact also shows up on other brands of cards, too. So, you know, this is just a misinformation campaign of the highest order. I feel gaslit by this card. Really just, a, a, just criminal what they've done here. If we can't trust the fun facts on the back of 35-year-old baseball cards... What can we trust? Such a good point. Such a good point. All faith is lost. Let's continue to 1980. He played a bit. He ran for about 200 yards in eight games. Cracked two ribs, though, and missed some time for that. But it didn't hurt him on the baseball field. He hit 370 that year. Led the nation with 11 triples. Was named All-ACC. Hit nine homers. 30 steals. 35 RBIs. Led the team in runs, RBIs, stolen bases, and home runs. Pretty good. And going into the senior season, offensive coordinator Steve Spurrier, I heard of him, suggested he might have a better shot at a pro career if he moved to wide receiver instead of running back. And Bob started to have a change of heart. He didn't particularly want to play in the NFL. He said he was a jack-of-all-trades, master of none. And he decided to focus on baseball. But unfortunately, in that senior season, after that breakout junior year, He had a pretty disappointing senior season, 254, four homers, 18 RBIs, and he wasn't even drafted. Luckily for Bob, his coach contacted another Duke alum, Wayne Krivsky, who was with the Rangers organization, 
Wayne had started in the Rangers ticket office and didn't actually become a scout until 1984. So I'm not entirely sure what Wayne's job was, but he's working for the Rangers, has a contact probably in the scouting department, tells him to check out this guy, Bob Brower, and they end up signing Bob as a free agent. Wayne would later become a scout and assistant GM for the Rangers. And in 2006, he was the Reds GM fired from that position in 2008, but an interesting career for Wayne Krivsky starting in the ticket office and moving all the way up. He must have at this point had the trust of somebody in the Rangers front office. They signed Bob on the recommendation of Wayne and the Duke uh, baseball coach, and Bob gets a start in the minors. Yeah, a couple things here. Uh, One being you can always count on a uh, Dukey to find another Dukey somewhere to help him out. But second, it's not too much of a risk to take signing a baseball free agent. I'm guessing that it doesn't cost them a whole lot to do it. So, hey, I know the kid, you know, hey, he's a good guy. So many stories we've had, like people seem to get signed for less. So glad that Bob got a chance here. He starts with the Rangers rookie club in the Gulf Coast League, the Sarasota Rangers, which is the first line on the card. He at 287. With 19 steals in 36 games, so he's got some speed. 1983, he starts out in Burlington, Iowa, hitting 312 in 43 games there, but added walks. So he started getting on base more, and that gave him a 445 on base, five homers, six triples, and his OPS was 981. This got him promoted to double A Tulsa. Struggled there a little bit, hit only 234 there the rest of the season. So he remained there to start 1984. And he's much better in 1984, getting up to the level, hitting 285, 393 on base percentage with a pretty remarkable 54 steals in 96 games. So using that running back speed, he also added seven home runs and nine triples. He earns a call up to AAA Oklahoma City, struggles to keep up the pace at the new level, hitting 224 in the final 35 games of the season. He ends up spending all of 1985 at AAA. He hits for the cycle on May 27th. His average is relatively low, but he had 18 triples and 33 steals in 1985. 18 triples is amazing. It's uh, Alfredo Griffin territory. <laughs> 1986, he remained at Oklahoma City to start and was even better. 287 average, 13 homers, 73 RBIs, 53 steals. He led the American Association in both walks and runs. His on-base percentage was 100 points higher than his average. So he's really getting a good eye and gaining patience at the plate. Was also solid in the field, leading the league's outfielders in putouts, and was named to the All-Star team and earned a September call-up. Gets called up to this Rangers team that has a pretty full outfield with Inky, Odeby McDowell, Gary Ward, and a very young Ruben Sierra. We're all on this team, but Bob was able to play a little bit and his first pro line on the card shows 21 games. His first appearance was a, as a pinch runner for Larry Parrish in the ninth inning of a game against the Red Sox. He was able to score from second when Gino Petrali hit a ground ball to the pitcher, Bob Stanley. Stanley got Ruben Sierra at second base, but Petrali was safe when the throw to first got away from Bill Buckner. So Brower is able to scamper all the way home, tying the game. The Red Sox would win it in the bottom of the ninth. The next week, Bob got his first hit, a double. He went one for nine in 21 games. Over the winter, he played winter ball in the Dominican Republic and was the league MVP. So feeling pretty confident coming into 1987, which is the last line on this card. 
that outfield of Inky, Odeby, McDowell, and Ruben Sierra was set, but Bob ended up playing a lot. He played in 127 games, starting 81 of them. He was filling in in center field and in left field and did pretty well. He was about average in the field, although he led all the center fielders with seven errors in only 67 games. But he batted 261. He had a highlight on June 21st. Texas is in Oakland for a doubleheader. Bob ends up getting the start because Pete Incavilia is back in Texas as his wife is in labor. I guess it's not a highlight at first because in the first game of the doubleheader, Bob goes 0 for 3. And at this point, he's 0 for his last 19, dating back to May. His average has dropped to 213. But then in the second game of the doubleheader, Rangers are down 1 to nothing, two outs, bases are loaded. Bob is hitting in the nine spot, and he slices a ball into center field off Eric Plunk. Luis Polonia dives for the ball and misses. The ball bounces all the way to the fence. We know that Bob's got some wheels. He makes it all the way around the bases for an inside-the-park grand slam. And this is Texas Rangers history, the first inside-the-park grand slam in Rangers history. He came up again in the fifth and hit a two-run home run. The Rangers won 13-3. Bob had six RBIs on the day, a huge day for him. He also had another two-homer game a month later against Cleveland. So a power surge for Bob in 1987. He did have a shoulder injury that year, which was diagnosed as tendonitis, but he ended up playing through it and was a regular part of the lineup at the end of the season. His final line on the season was pretty good. 14 home runs, 15 steals, that 261 average, and a decent number of walks. So it's looking good for Bob heading into the offseason, at least on on the card. Yeah, his shoulder still bothered him. And in the offseason, they looked at it a little closer, and it was a torn labrum, which required surgery. And Bob rehabbed and made it back to the team for spring training and then pulled a calf muscle, which held him out for the start of the season, which is kind of a bummer. He had some good stretches in 1988, but was inconsistent, hitting only 224 in 82 games and didn't have the same power that he had displayed in 1987. He hit only one home run, a grand slam against the Orioles' Don Ossie. And so December 5th, 1988, the Rangers decided to trade Bob. They were okay in the outfield. They had plenty of guys and some youngsters in the system. A couple guys named Sammy Sosa and Juan Gonzalez. So they their farm system was doing okay. So they sent Bob to the Yankees for Bobby Meacham. In this trade, Meacham didn't end up ever playing for Texas, and Brower didn't really end up playing much for the Yankees. He went to the Winter League, and in warm-ups, before he ever played a game, he felt his right elbow pop while throwing. He goes back to Texas to see the Rangers doctor, even though he had already been traded. I don't know if there was just a trust issue there, and he already knew the doctor. And he was diagnosed with, elbow tendonitis. Regardless, the Yankees still think that Bob's going to compete for the starting spot in center field. Instead, he starts the year on the disabled list with a sore groin and recurring arm problems. When he finally gets off the DL, he's okay. He hits 230 in 26 games, but the Yankees had picked up Jesse Barfield. They called up Deion Sanders at this point, and their outfield situation is pretty crowded and there isn't really room for Bob. So he's sent down to AAA Columbus. At Columbus, he hit 253 in 26 games, but his elbow was still bothering him. He saw another doctor and had Tommy John surgery. He 
came back to Columbus in 1990, hit 230 with 34 steals, but his elbow was still a problem, limited him to only 66 games, more surgeries. 1991, he's invited to the Royal Spring Training but didn't play. And 1992, he started without a team, was, was practicing with George Mason University, traveled with them to Florida, and caught on with the Orioles system. Did he just show up and try out there? Yeah, I was I was intrigued by this. I don't know if he was with George Mason, maybe in hopes of helping out with coaching, helping some of the younger players train. He ends up getting some interest from some teams, including the Orioles. But then he ends up signing with Texas because they offered him a better contract. He plays in AAA that season, but only 75 games, hits 210. And then he finds out late in the season that his father had incurable brain cancer. Bob leaves the team to care for his dad, and that offseason, Bob's father passed away. Two days before his father passed away, Bob got married to a woman named Shelley Winters, not the two-time Academy Award winner. This Shelley Winters was a flight attendant who lived in Bob's apartment complex, and they had met at a laundromat five years previous while Bob was playing in Texas. So very, a good meet cute at the laundromat. <laughs> With all of these life changes happening, Bob decided to call it a career rather than seek a new team. So closing the book on Bob Brower in the majors, a final line of 242 average, 17 homers, 29 steals, 60 RBIs, the majority of those which were in 1987. I think the majority of the RBIs were in just that one doubleheader. <laughs> OPS plus of 90. In the minors, he had four straight 30-plus steal seasons, including 68 steals in 1984, combined his two leagues he played in. For the loves to face Jimmy Key, he hit 7 for 17, a 412 average against him in 21 plate appearances. And against Steve Carlton, he went 4 for 8 with two home runs. That was the only pitcher he ever hit two home runs off of. Pretty impressive. And then hate it to face the person he had the most plate appearances against, Mark Langston. He had 24 plate appearances and only went three for 20. Also only went two for 15 against Bruce Hurst. So those are his least favorite pitchers. How about in retirement? Bob was an intern at Duke when his former agent, Scott Boris, approached him about a job. And Bob became the third employee at Boris Corporation. I hope he got some stock options, some equity, <laughs> because Boris Corporation has taken off in the time since Bob got hired. He is now a vice president, and he's responsible for the draft division of Boris Corporation, managing the draft representatives and helping make decisions about potential clients. He also has some involvement in scouting and judging talent. He talks to players about the reality of the professional lifestyle and the ups and downs, injuries, trades, and realizing when it's time to hang them up. Also, Bob and Shelley have been married for nearly 30 years. They had two sons. And they moved from North Carolina to Kansas, and they ran the Home Plate Club in indoor training facility, batting cages facility in Hutchinson, Kansas, for a few years. And finally, in 2016, Bob's other duties made it too difficult to keep up with the business, and so they, they sold that business. The Home Plate Club does sound like something you could join at Denny's. I would gladly do that. This was a common card, but... A neat player who had some speed and, you know, maybe didn't have an extensive major league career. But what do we think about him now that we've looked into him a little bit more? 
The plaque on James Madison High School's Wall of Fame proclaims Bob Brower to be one of the greatest athletes at James Madison. In a local news story about the best ever local athletes, it said everyone had a Bobby Brower story. And actually on the college football reference page for Bob, he's listed as Bobby Brower when he played at Duke. So he's Bob Brower on the baseball side, Bobby on the football side. And the line between fact and fiction with Bobby Brower was blurred. This is a guy who never played football and went on to be a D1 running back uh, after one year of high school football. He said that basketball was the only sport that he ever practiced, his one love. And yet he ended up going pro in baseball. And he said that baseball was the only sport that I couldn't, and I don't want to say master, but it was the only thing I couldn't consistently be good at, which is an amazing admission and shows just kind of remarkable awareness that he was constantly trying to better himself on the baseball field and that he still didn't feel like he was good at it. And for that reason, he can talk to young players and and talk to them about kind of their, the next steps and the reality of being a professional player. He's now worked for Boris for over 25 years. And with that draft team, he's been involved in signing stars like Andrew Jones and Max Scherzer and Mark Teixeira. But Bob is also the first person to, to point out that there's no guarantee. He said the success rate for playing in the big leagues for drafted players is less than 2%. So that means there's a graveyard filled with young players' dreams that are in the world today without a college education. I feel a responsibility to talk about that graveyard with all players. There is a life after baseball, but no one wants to talk about it. And in his Sabre bio, the author ties Bob's story to another Boris employee, Matt McClendon. And Bob visited Matt McClendon when Matt was a highly regarded high school player to talk about the possibilities of him signing with Boris. After talking about some of the realities of the minor league game, Matt decided he wanted to go to college. He ends up drafted out of college, spends some time in the minors, and then retires after a few years due to injury. He goes back to school, went to law school, and then got a job also working for the Boris Corporation. And he credits Bob Brower and Bob's honesty with his ability to create this second career. He said, everything I have is because of this game. But for me, I can really trace this back another step. I am forever indebted to Bob Brower. Bob came into my life when I was 17 and opened my eyes to greater possibilities than I ever thought possible with the information he shared with me. Through Bob's advice and guidance, I am where I am today, and I have what I have today. And it's interesting, Bob went to Duke, a school better known for basketball. He's a big basketball fan, but he plays baseball and football. Not necessarily a path for athletic success as a professional, but going to Duke is a pretty good path for success in life. <laughs> if you are going to go to school, if you're going to, you know, if you're going to study and move on with a career after baseball. So because of that, he's helped a lot of players fulfill their dreams, both on the field, but also maybe prepare them for what happens if that dream doesn't quite become a reality on the field, what you can do afterwards. And in some cases, that's maybe more important. We've certainly seen plenty of athletes through this series who stuck with it as long as they possibly could and would grind out a career into their 30s and 40s doing everything they could to stay close to the game. But for others, like if 
through injury or through what for whatever other reason, if it doesn't work out, that doesn't mean it's over. You know that there is a, a way to move forward and uh, to look at whatever opportunities you can. What a what a helpful attitude to have, and what a good person to be looking out for young people like that. And I think with that story about Matt McClendon, it's not necessarily in Bob Brower or Scott Boris's interest to talk a guy out of going pro. But it is in that player's interest, and it is in the long-term scheme of things, in Scott Boris's interest to have players who go on to do other successful endeavors and to not set kids up for failure. And I've heard Scott Boris talk about it, and I know that people have a lot of feelings about agents, but I've heard him talk about the importance of getting kids money for college because they know the success rate, and they know better than anybody the, the amount of money that can be made, but also the... Uh, the amount of disappointment. Really interesting story for someone who was so multi-talented and did end up with maybe their third best sport as a career and then turned it into a really admirable second career. So thank you, David, for that story. And thank you to you at home. If you've ever had a meet cute at the laundromat, we'd love to hear all about it on Twitter. We're at Tops1988. Thanks a lot. And we'll see you next week.